we're going to be looking in Isaiah chapters 26, 30, and 31, but we're going to start with chapter 30, and we'll be there in just a moment. And our focus this morning is on peace and strength for those who trust the Lord. And, and then if you're able to be back here at 6 o'clock tonight, we're going to look at judgment and death for those who do not trust in the Lord. And uh, there, there's a big difference in life between those who trust the Lord and those who don't. And it's not just those who trust the Lord for salvation go to heaven, those who don't trust the Lord for salvation go to hell. It's not just that. There's also those who trust the Lord and they're on their way to heaven. In their daily lives, they need to trust the Lord. And if we don't learn to trust the Lord, then we suffer, even as believers, We miss out and we suffer and we struggle in ways where we should thrive. The song that Megan sang and we joined in on, that we can trust the Lord in the deepest, darkest times. He can renew our spirit. He can encourage us. And so this morning, in just a moment, we're going to read scripture. And um, so turn to Isaiah 30. We'll start there and we'll be there in just a minute. On the last Sunday of 2018, we had a couple of messages from Jeremiah. And if you remember the instruction or the introduction to those messages, we talked about some of the political turmoil. To help you get a picture of it, we got a picture today. So um, this is the, a map. It shows where Israel, the northern kingdom, is and where Judah, the southern kingdom, is. Actually, the words Israel and Judah are in the Mediterranean Sea. So it's just to the right of those words. And then the Assyrian Empire was up in the north, a modern-day Turkey. In the New Testament, it was called Asia Minor. And then the Babylonian Empire was over in Iraq and part of Iran, and then Egypt down uh, at the bottom uh, left there on your screen. Uh, Egypt is in northeast Africa. So... Uh, what was going on was the Assyrian Empire was really gaining power. And the Assyrian Empire uh, came down and um, the, king, the nation of Judah was struggling against the nation of Israel. The southern kingdom, Judah, against the northern kingdom, Israel. And there was this tension and struggle going on. And, and then Judah had a brilliant idea. Well, well, if we partner with Assyria, then we'll get the northern kingdom of Israel sandwiched between us, and we'll win the victory. Oh, and it was brilliant. Assyria kept Israel away from Judah, and then Assyria conquered Israel, and guess what they wanted to do next? Conquer Judah. Yeah. And they did, or they tried. And, and there was a lot of uh, stress and turmoil, so... Um, Then the Babylonians came and the Babylonians conquered the Assyrian Empire and they were now pressing against the southern kingdom of Judah. And so Judah decided once again a a brilliant strategy. They would call out to Egypt because at least now Egypt was on their side, you know, and so Egypt could come and help them and Egypt did and they pushed back Babylon and Babylon conquered Assyria and the northern kingdom. And on the surface, it seemed like brilliant military strategy, right? You're outmanned, you're outgunned, you get a partner, you appeal to someone. When England was fighting in World War I, and they weren't 
able to vanquish Germany, they called upon the United States. And the United States went to Germany. And of course, the way we tell it, you know, we showed up, we saved the day, and saved the world! Because we're Americans. Uh, But if you read in British textbooks, what they say is, it took a long, long, long time before the United States came, and Britain fought for years and years and years, and then the United States came in and claimed victory. Different perspective. But we're right, right? But what did we do after World War I? We went back home. We came back to the United States. And Germany had been really conquering France and threatening uh, England, and, and Germany was beat back, and so we came home. And Germany came back with a vengeance. And Germany conquered most of Europe. And Germany was at direct war against England, and it was worse than it was before. And that's exactly what happened here. When Egypt left, Babylon came back with a vengeance. And the Babylonians came back, and then they destroyed Judah. And that was exactly as Jeremiah had prophesied. But see, there's another layer to that story of what went on with Jeremiah, and that was that a century before Jeremiah was prophesying, there was another prophet. His name was Isaiah. And Isaiah said, we have hard times coming. And God, the Holy Spirit, inspired Isaiah to say these words, to write these words, to include them for us, that he was to give a warning to the Israelites in the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, to say, don't trust in Egypt. Trust in me. It didn't work. They didn't listen. So let's look in Isaiah chapter 30, and then chapter 31, and then chapter 26, okay? Isaiah chapter 30. We're only going to look at the first couple of verses here. Woe to the rebellious children. All right, parents, when do you think your kids are rebellious? Are, are your kids rebellious when they forgot something, honestly forgot something? Are they rebellious? No. You, you can use words. You don't have to just shake your head vigorously. I can hear your voice better than the rattle. Um, so if, if your kids do something and they try it, but their best isn't quite good enough, they didn't quite get it right, are they being rebellious? When are they being rebellious? When they, when they clearly know what you expect and they choose to do something else. Either they do the thing you said not to do, or they don't do the thing you said do. All right, how many of you have ever experienced seeing someone else be rebellious? Oh, my brothers. Woo, it was tough growing up with those guys. But we've been there too, haven't we? And so God is writing to his chosen people, his kids. And God says, woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, 
who take counsel, but not of me. Let me tell you, there are times when you need counseling. Uh, You should have counselors that help you, multiple ones, individuals. You might need to go see a a Christian counselor who's trained. They know the Word of God, and they know uh, counseling techniques, and they can help you. It's a big benefit. I have benefited from it. Other people in our church have benefited from it. But your primary source of counsel is right here. The first place you go for counseling, the first place you go to learn God's plan and how to cope with life is the Word of God. Learn the Word, read the Word, understand it. Uh, You will not need nearly as much counseling from someone else if you're really into the Word of God. And the best counselors use only the Word of God. Kathy and I had an incident recently where a family member, extended family member, uh, was... uh, going to a counselor, and the counselor was actually giving them counsel that was clearly contrary to the Word of God. And we were concerned, and several of us were really praying because uh, that counselor was going to lead that person astray. Thankfully, they saw it and backed away from it. So the Lord says you're taking counsel from the wrong people. You're taking counsel first from Assyria, then from Egypt, Take counsel from me, the Lord says, in the middle of that verse, who devise plans, but not of my spirit. Somebody said what we often do is we make these plans and then we say, okay, God, here's my plans, now bless them. And what we should do is say, God, what is it you want us to do? And spend earnest time in prayer. Who devise plans, but not of my spirit. Look at the end of verse 1. That they may add what? Sin to sin. This is a double-decker. This is sin on top of sin on top of sin. It's just piling up and building up. Verse 2. Who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice. It's interesting to me how when the children of Israel were servants in Egypt, and they were delivered from Egypt, God repeatedly said, don't get your horses from Egypt. What did Solomon do? Got horses from Egypt. Don't go to Egypt for help. What did they do? They go to Egypt for help. It's like God said, I delivered you from them. Don't go back there. And they just kept going back and going back and going back. And the Lord said in the middle of verse 2, And have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. The Lord called Judah a rebellious people. He said they took counsel of other people, but not of him. Uh, Reminiscent of Psalm 1, where it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the seat of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. We are blessed if we follow godly counsel. Your first place to get counsel should be, from the Word of God, or from somebody who knows the Word of God, who can communicate it and help you. 
They devise plans, but not of my spirit. Did you know God has plans for your life? And, and God has certain ways in which he wants to bless you and use you, and sometimes you can hinder that. You say, well, how can I hinder God? He's sovereign. He rules over everything. Yeah, but, but God, who is sovereign, has said he puts limitations on people. And so in James 4, he says, there's some things I want to give you, but you have not because you ask not. You're not praying. You're not seeking. And there's some victories that God wants to give you, but you're not seeking them. There's guidance that God wants to give you, but you're not seeking it. So God has parameters you can't get beyond. But within those parameters, those walls, we have limited free will. And God allows you to choose to follow him or not. God does not make you a robot. Now, I have had friends that are very, very, so strong on the sovereignty of God, they think God's in charge of every moment of your day. If you stub your toe, that was God's plan. If somebody sneezes on you, that was God's plan. I had a friend, he was so diehard, God's in charge of every single moment, every day. I, I really wanted to punch him in the nose and then say, why did God want me to do that? See, you have some responsibility here. You cannot move outside the limitations God has. But you have some responsibility. And so the Lord said, instead of doing your own thing or getting counsel over there, you should have come to me. You should have sought my counsel. I would have done great things. And they rejected it. So they added sin to sin. By seeking help from Egypt and not seeking help from the Lord, they sinned against the Lord God. Turn over to chapter 31. Chapter 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. It can't get any plainer than this, can it? Don't go there. Now, we're human, right? We struggle, right? Probably any one of us could tell us a time when a parent or somebody uh, we looked up to, a mentor, a parent, somebody, they gave us advice and counsel and they said, don't do that. And then we kind of went and sort of did it, right? But it doesn't ever end well. Especially not when it's clear counsel from the Lord. Don't. Go down to Egypt for help. If you do, whoa, bad news for those who do. And rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. If you have a financial problem, if you have an emotional situation, if you're having mental distress, if you're having physical distress, the first place you should go is to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Talk to Him in prayer. I'm not saying just pray and God will heal you. Never see a doctor. No. But the first place you go is the Lord. The first one you lean on. 
I praise the Lord that in my life there have been a couple of times when, when I've had uh, financial distress and there have been people that we know we could call on them. But there were several times when Kathy and I, we knew we could call on those people. We chose not to and we just prayed. And I vividly remember one time in, in Arizona when I was in southern Arizona, further south than we are now, 100 miles south. I was pastoring in Sawarita uh, for some years. And uh, Kathy and I faced a really difficult time financially. We desperately needed money. And, and we knew there were a couple people we could call on, one who had given us money before and her parents, my parents. We, we had some options of things that we could do to call on people. And, and we both just felt like uh, we, we would just rely on the Lord. Who was the guy in England who had the orphanage? And George Mueller. Uh, George Mueller did that. And, and so Kathy and I just said, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to really pray that God will meet this need. And we're not going to tell anybody but God. And just really pray and trust in him. And a couple of days later, um, or the next day, I went down to the mailbox and there was a check. And the check just barely exceeded the financial need that we had. And the check was mailed before we prayed. Now, how could that happen? Well, it was just an amazing coincidence. Now, I'll tell you how it happens. God, who knows the future, he knows the end from the beginning, he knew we were going to pray. And he knew he was going to answer. So he worked in the heart of people to put in their heart to give to us before we prayed because he knew we would pray. And he already had the answer to our prayer on the way before we even prayed. Because we serve an awesome God. Does it always work that way? No. There have been times we've really struggled financially. But we've grown in the Lord. Go to the Lord first. Lean on the Lord. So he says, Woe to you who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they were many, and horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise. The Lord is wise and will bring disaster and will not call back his words. So the Lord, we see in Scripture, brings disaster on those who attack his people. That's a righteous judgment the Lord does. The middle of verse 2. He will arise against the house of evildoers, against the help of those who work iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, both he who helps will fall, and he who is helped will fall down. They will all perish together. So, nearly a century later, Jeremiah's on the scene. And Jeremiah says, don't go down to Egypt. Don't trust in Egypt. Why? Because the Egyptians will fall. And those who trust in them will fall. I hope you can come back tonight, 6 o'clock. We're going to be looking at a, another passage here in Isaiah and how God amazingly delivered on the one hand and amazingly judged those 
who raise themselves up against God's people on the other hand. A couple of chapters in Isaiah. It'll, it'll really be a blessing uh, to go through that tonight. Israel was telling them that the, their true source of strength, their, their, I'm sorry, Isaiah was telling them their true source of strength, their source of comfort, their source of support, their protection was from the Lord. Have you ever heard about helicopter parents? What, what's a helicopter parent? They talk so fast, they go, air blow, no. They just hover over. They want to make sure nobody messes around, you know. Don't mess with their kid. Have you seen them on the playground? On the playground, a kid goes to play. The, the helicopter parent is like holding the swing as it goes forward and back so their sweet little one won't get hurt. Parents, grandparents who help raise grandkids, God has not assigned you the job of keeping your kids safe. He has assigned you the task of providing a measure of safety. But your most important job is teaching them to trust the Lord, not you. Lord willing, someday they'll be on their own. Someday they'll make their own decisions. And you want them to be able to trust and follow God, not you. I I love my dad. But I go to my heavenly father with my problems long before I ever talk to my earthly dad about it. And I want my kids to have a strength in the Lord. I don't mind them coming and asking questions. But if they are dependent on you, if you have adult children dependent on you, what, what you, you messed up something along the way. Either they have extra needs or you were too available. I, I don't know how to say that. I may be messing this up, but you need to teach your kids to rely on God. You need to be there for them, but your job is to point them to God. As the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't get dependent on Paul. Get dependent on Jesus. And we need to try and do that with our kids and our grandkids. Now, let me tell you, some of you parents have had kids make horrible decisions in their lives. You're not responsible for their decisions. You're responsible for pointing them to the Lord. They are responsible for their own decisions. We like to give Adam and Eve credit for Seth, right? But they also had Cain. They had Abel and Seth who followed the Lord and Cain who didn't. So do we blame them for Cain or give them praise for Seth and Abel? Neither. Your kids are responsible for their own decisions. You're responsible to create an environment where they could choose to follow the Lord, to encourage them in following the Lord, but they're responsible for their own decisions. I was raised in a house where my parents bought me my first Bible, took me to church. I was in church when I was still in diapers. I was in church regularly. And then in fourth grade, when I got out of diapers, no, I'm just kidding. But but I was still a rebellious kid and made some bad choices. That was my fault, not my parents' fault. Praise God, I got saved and the Lord changed my life. So our goal is on the inside of us to trust and follow the Lord and to guide those who are either in our house or under our teaching 
to trust and follow the Lord. So, um, your ministry leaders, parents, your job is to get those you teach or guide to follow the Lord. They They can make bad choices. If they make bad choices, it doesn't mean you're a bad teacher or a bad parent. But try and point the way. If you don't point the way, you're not doing your job. Let's go back to Isaiah 26. So, peace and strength for those who trust the Lord. Isaiah 26, when you ask people their favorite verses, a lot of people come up with these two verses. Isaiah 26, verse 3. They're on the front of the bulletin too. But uh, Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We'll read verse 4 in just a minute. So who's doing the keeping? God is. The Lord God is doing the keeping. What does it mean to keep? It's, it's to protect, uh, to guard like with a garrison. It's God's job to keep you to protect you, to guard you. In uh, Proverbs 4, it says, Keep your heart, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So God is guarding you, and then you have a responsibility to guard over your heart and keep him in perfect peace. Well, that's actually, in the Hebrew, it's like peace, peace, shalom, shalom, or shah shalom. It's peace squared. It's the fullness of peace. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Do you think Christ enjoyed this perfect peace while he was on the earth? Some said yes, some said no. Was Christ in perfect harmony with the Father while he was on the earth? Yes. So... He was fully connected with the Father, except for a short time on the cross when the Father turned away and the Lord cried out. So Jesus, in his perfectly peaceful relationship with God, had friends misunderstand him. He had a ministry partner betray him. Some of the people who followed him later turned away. The very people who should have welcomed him rejected him. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. Sometimes he was surrounded by crowds pressing in. Don't you love that? Don't you like going someplace and the crowds just so mashing in all around you? Generally speaking, Americans don't like that. People in Asia, they're used to that sort of thing. Americans, not so, especially if you live in in the Southwest. Kathy and I watched a a bus in Cuba once, and it went by, and it looked like a bus that could reasonably seat about 60 people, and it looked like there were two or three times that many on the bus. They were jammed in, squeezed in, and there was a guy at the door of the bus, and his job was to get everybody on so it could go. And he's just pushing and pushing and pushing to get one more person on that bus so they'd make more money in that bus run. And I looked at Kathy, and she looked at me, and we said, no way would we get on that bus. 
just squeezed in like sardines. Just we we like some some space in our culture. But there were so many times when Jesus didn't have that. And it's funny, the disciples were all surprised. Jesus is walking through a crowd and he's being mobbed and they're working their way through this crowd and then Jesus said, who touched me? Because a woman had touched him and you know the story of the healing of this woman. And they're like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. They were all jostling together. So there were times he was surrounded by crowds and pressing in on him. And there were some times when he was all alone. And there were a lot of times when no one on earth understood him. He was kind and compassionate and he healed people. And the world responded by criticizing and accusing him of being demon-possessed. So what was that perfect peace? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Um, he was... He always knew he was in the center of the will of the Father. He was guided by the Holy Spirit. He had faithful people serve with him for years. And in his mind, in the core of his being, he was fully connected with the Father in his heart and soul and mind. He was at peace with God and he enjoyed the peace of God. Because his mind was stayed on the Lord, on God. Somebody said stayed means to lean upon or be sustained. So that if if I were about to fall over and I grabbed onto this, I would be stayed upon that, holding up because of that. Uh, And it's used parallel with trust, who trusts in him, to confide in, to indicate that uh, that when one does in fact trust the Lord totally... He will lean upon him entirely and be sustained by him alone. So, when we think of perfect peace, we want absence of pain, absence of stress. You know, you're sitting in your recliner chair, sipping lemonade, and your air conditioning or your heating's just working perfectly. And if you're a football nut, you're watching one of the greatest games in history, and you're just relaxed, and you're just enjoying the day. If you love music, you got your music playing, and it's soothing. And we think, ah. Some years ago, they had, I've shared this before, but I love the story. They had a contest. Who could draw and paint a picture of peace? And so uh, there were pictures of beautiful meadows with, with flowers across the meadow. And there were pictures of sunrise on the ocean or sunset, just gorgeous scenes, that idyllic scenes, and none of those won first prize. First prize was a a rushing waterfall crashing over the rocks. And out in front of that waterfall, there was a branch. And on that gnarly branch, out in front of the rock and the waterfall, there was a nest. And in that nest, there was a bird singing. You see, peace has nothing to do with your circumstances and everything to do with the vertical relationship. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. 
because he trusts in you. When you are leaning on the Lord, when you're going to him, when you're communing with him, you have perfect peace. So the Lord Jesus Christ could face his enemies with a calmness inside because he and the Father were in harmony together. So the Apostle Paul could face prison and and Paul and Silas, when they got beaten and thrown in the stocks, they could sing praise to God at midnight because vertically they were stayed on him and they had perfect peace because they were trusting in the Father. It was not based on circumstances. It wasn't horizontal. It was vertical. Their relationship with God. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. Now when it says Yah the Lord that's unusual construction for us because we don't read Hebrew, and we don't talk in Hebrew syntax. So when he said perfect peace, this is like shalom, shalom. It's this uh, abundance of peace. And so when he talks about trust in the Lord forever, for in uh, the Lord Jehovah, or in Yah the Lord, or in the Lord our rock, uh, Yah is Yahweh. And uh, we often in... uh, Years gone by, they translated the word Lord as Jehovah. So when you see Lord Jehovah, it's talking about God, Yahweh. Um, Yahweh is a a better translation than Jehovah, primarily because the Hebrew language doesn't have anything for the letter J. I have a Jewish friend who makes a big deal out of that. And you guys all sing about Jehovah. There is no Jehovah. Jehovah. And I said, well, actually, we talk about Yahweh. And he said, you do? (laughs) See, how we do. Uh, So it's okay to say Jehovah. Some of our songs do. It's okay to say Yahweh. What's not okay is to get stressed out one way or the other. It's talking about the same thing. For in Yah, the Lord. Now, when this is written, the way this is written, it's like Yah, Yahweh. This is that, that it's a Hebrew emphatic and a parallel to to really emphasize this is not just the Lord it's the Lord Lord so in the Lord Lord the Lord Jehovah in God our rock is everlasting strength again some translations say he is our our rock and the, the psalmist very clearly says that sometimes the Lord's my rock and my salvation, in whom shall I fear? Uh, so we, we know that, but he is this everlasting strength. So I, I want you to key in on a couple things in, in this short verse. Um, Isaiah is challenging them to genuinely trust in the Lord. Yah, Yahweh, or Jah, Jehovah, the Lord, Jehovah, the Lord God. Absolutely trust in him. Because he has everlasting strength. Now, look on the screen, and the last word of the first line is forever, and the middle word of the last line is everlasting. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is 
everlasting strength. When I was a little kid, I had a grandpa who was a preacher, great-grandpa actually, and I was in great-grandpa's church and listening to him preach, and, and he trusted in the Lord, and, and I knew that. I was not a believer at the time, but, but my grandpa knew the Lord, trusted the Lord, and I can remember my grandpa preaching, the Lord will return in my lifetime. We fully expected that. Didn't happen. Grandpa's been with the Lord now for more than 40 years. I remember him. I uh, benefited from his messages, even though I wasn't a believer at the time. I think there was a compounding effort that I eventually became a believer. And uh, he didn't live to see me saved. His wife, my uh, great-grandma, she lived to see me saved, to see me surrender to preach, to see me in Bible college. But she didn't live to see me graduate. She never heard me preach. Someday we'll be together in heaven. And, and I watched them when I was a young kid. I watched them rely on God. I watched them go to God. I, I watched Grandma one day when she was all upset. Something happened. She had a phone call. It really upset her. And she walked into her bedroom and she shut the door. And only she didn't quite shut it tight. So I snuck down the hallway and I peeked in. And there was Grandma holding her Bible, rocking in her rocking chair, reading her Bible. And then she closed her Bible and she held it in her hand. And she talked to God. And Ten years later, when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I finally figured out what she was doing. She was trusting in the Lord forever. For in the Lord is everlasting strength. And she was doing that in the 60s. And we can do that today. Because His everlasting strength is not diminished. Even though politically... Uh, when you stand for the Lord, you take a lot of attack politically. We are seeing that big time in our nation this week. But God's strength is not diminished. God's strength is not lessened. We can trust Him forever because He has everlasting strength. So if the Lord should tarry, and I should live to be almost a hundred like my grandparents and my great-grandparents did, the Lord will be just as strong in my life then as He is now. There's no diminishing of His power. You know, we, we create all kinds of things for energy and stuff, but there's a diminishingness to life on earth. You can buy a brand new car. Gorgeous, beautiful, state-of-the-art. Drive off the lot and it's now a used car. You buy the gr latest, greatest computer technology. And it's designed to last two to three years. But God has forever strength. He has everlasting strength. It's never going to be diminished. And so if you depend on some person, maybe there's a wealthy person and you are a benefactor. Great, rejoice in that. But guess what? Our world is seeing wealthy people become paupers rather swiftly 
depending on the circumstances. He has everlasting strength. So what we need to do is depend on and lean on the Lord. Because He is our rock. He is our strength that shall not be moved. And so we, we lean on Him. We find our strength in Him. And there is peace and strength for those who trust in Him. And no matter how difficult life gets, if you are aligned with the Father, if you are engaged with the Son, if you are listening to the Holy Spirit, you can have peace in the midst of turmoil. I wish I could remember her name. I can't. When I was in Cuba one year, there was another couple there. His name was Mike. I can't remember her name. They were missionaries in Mexico. They came over to help in Cuba. He translated for me several nights out preaching in churches. And Mike and I got close. We talked a lot. They had a son die. And uh, they were in a hospital in Mexico when their son died. And these were very, very difficult times for them. Some of you have been there. That's that's hard. And Mike said he watched his wife, and and his son had been, their son had been in the hospital for a length of time, getting worse, getting worse. Lots of people working with him, praying for him, and, and then he passed away. And the hospital staff were brokenhearted. And Mike said, "I watched my wife ministering to those people." Because of their hurt. Because she was so close to the Lord, she was letting his love and grace flow through her to them. And some of them became believers when they saw the peace of God in one of the most difficult of human situations, the death of a child. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So trust in the Lord, in Yah the Lord forever. For he has everlasting strength. Strength beyond your capacity to face difficulties you didn't think you could face. Because you partner with omnipotence when you walk with God. I want you to bow your heads just for a moment. Uh, Whoever's going to play, if you would come, we're going to sing a song in just a minute. He is our peace. And and I want you to ask yourself, who are you relying on? Just, Just please bow your head, close your eyes, talk to God, pray to Him. If you've been trusting anything else, if you've been trying to work things out, if you've been trying to manipulate circumstances to make things happen, I want you to just go to the Lord and confess your sin. Don't add sin upon sin. Confess your sin and commit to trust in Him. And if you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it doesn't matter what age you are. It matters whether you have genuinely trusted Him. And if you're here this morning, and there are people here this morning who have not trusted Christ, you need to do it today. While we're singing, you could come to the front. We could show you from the Word of God how you could trust Him. Listen, He has everlasting strength. 
You have weakness. You need him. And he makes himself available to you. Trusting him for your eternal soul? Are you trusting him for your daily life? Ben, you come up and lead us in this song. He is our peace. Let's stand as we sing.